This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. We're holding here in the, um, the number f- Hey, which is five. It's sort of in the, on the left-hand column in the Rambam. So the first thing he's defined, hi, Monica. The first thing he's defined was God as what he is. Now, at this point, it's really not significant because whatever God is, is, and it's not connected to us yet. The next part of the definition of what we understand is God, hey, Hamotsi Hazer, this entity, who Elokai Ha'olam, he is the God of the world, and we'll, we'll, we'll in a second explain the di- nuance of difference. Adon Kolaaretz, the master of the earth. Now, the name of God, there's a primary name, which is like the name that's spelled out in the um, in a Siddur and a Chumash, a Yud and a Hey and a Vav and a Hey. That sort of, I guess, is the name that pinpoints the dead center of God as God. Without relating it to anything else, the root of the word is Havaya, Hove, which means to exist, like we spoke about before. That's sort of our understanding of God is existence itself. But the next step there are two next steps in terms of its relationship to the world. Um, one is Elohim, which is an Aleph Lamed and a Hey in the original Hebrew it's pronounced with a Hey. When you don't use it in a sentence, you, you know, you use Elohim. And then um, Aleph, Dalet, Nun, and Yud, which is the way we pronounce God's name. The distinction is as follows. Elohim means God is the source of all power. In other words, anything that can act in the world acts in, in um, by, in, he, he's endowed with the abilities from God. The word Elohim is used secularly to describe a judge. Elohim lo tekalel um, means do not curse a judge. Uh, the Torah understood that judges are the brunt of a lot of ill will. So it says, Elohim lo sekalel, do not curse the judge. Bnei Elohim refers to angels. Um, you have by Moses, when God told him to go to Pharaoh, and he said, you will be Elohim to Paro. You will, in other words, command Paro what to do, and, uh, and Aaron will be your spokesman because you can't speak well. So the word Elohim is already it's a set it's a word that it's not the name of God because a name can't be you can't associate them with other people um, you can associate descriptions so the very fact that Elohim is used to describe secular entities mundane entities means it's a description of God but no longer is it something that that is God as opposed to anything else so, when, so Elohim means anything that happens in the world, God is behind it. He gives, he, he allows it to happen, he causes it to happen, he's involved with it. 
so that's the first connection. And then the second word, which is Aleph Daldunyud, means, um, I would say, he has the right to dictate to the world what he would like. So, in understanding God in the full picture, just, just understanding the metaphysical entity that is primary and not caused by anything is lovely, but really, really doesn't, doesn't um, mean that much. I was once thinking, you know, there was a time when, I think it was Reagan maybe, no, it was maybe even later, no, Bush. Bush, when he had his inaugural address, the old Bush, he kept speaking about God all the time, and Reagan spoke about God, and so on. They mentioned God. And the Israeli prime ministers, I hate to use the pun, but religiously avoided using God's name. <laughs> and, you know, at first it was very irksome. But then I wrote, so I actually wrote on it someplace, and I, I, I said, I, I thought about it a bit. And I realized for an American, quote-unquote, religious person, Mentioning God's name isn't doesn't oblige you to do all that much. Um, I mean, I don't know how many times Reagan went to church. I don't know how many times he put on film. I don't like he didn't didn't really really. I mean, it, it just the question was, do you or don't you? You know, I I, I you know, are you religious or you're not religious? But that's it. The question ends at that point. So so it's not terrible. It it it's no sweat off your back to mention God's name. Um, it just kind of is sort of a, an abstract philosophy. I guess it goes with a whole bunch of issues. Are you pro-tax, anti-tax, pro-abortion, anti-abortion, believe in God, not believe in God, it sort of lines up evenly. But it doesn't mean anything, really. Um, the poor Israeli prime minister, if he acknowledges God, it comes with a package of 613 mitzvahs plus. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's not, it's a check that has, you know, it, it, the, the check has got a number on it. And that's why, so, so believing God metaphysically is lovely, but that's, it doesn't, it, you know, it's not, that's not enough. So we believe God in terms of his involvement in the world, which is, um, many of the earlier commentators write that that was like the Greeks attributed existence to God but God was not involved with the world could not be involved with the world um, to beneath his dignity and so on that was one way of looking at it so we say he is involved and everything is, happens through a sort of guiding hand and he has the right to tell us what to do and to command us so he says two things he is the power of the world. The root of Elokai, the word Aleph Lamed, El, means powerful one. It's also the name of God, but the, it's, it, the word Elim, Michamocha Ba'elim, means strong one, powerful one. It's, it's power, it's, it's ability to act. Adonkala is the master of the earth. And, and note the kind of distinction. When he speaks about the power of the world, he uses the word ha'olam, so the universe. Anything that happens within the universe, he's pulled a string somewhere. And Adon Kalartz is the, the only, the only part, the only entity that has some sort of moral um, a, a undertaking is, is this world, is this earth, and that's what God is about. Um, now, he says, the next point, the Rambam uses a certain type of, I, I don't want to say the word proof, but um, a sort of, ex the way he def describes God's ongoing involvement in the world, which to us today 
is not, and we see it differently, um, it's not, the point that he's making is not going to affect our belief, and it's not a religious imperative, but the Rambam's sense was like this, that the, the, the Rambam had the following axiom, which is borrowed from Aristotle. Aristotle posited that rest is the natural state for everything. And motion, all motion requires a cause. Um, we've changed that today, and our understanding of physics, the last two, three hundred years has been, that um, all things going at a constant speed are also in a state of stability and require nothing to keep it going in a constant speed. Any acceleration or deceleration requires um, some force acting on it. That's, that's our um, understanding of things. And the, the Rambam was using Aristotelian physics. He, A, he lived uh, 800 plus years ago, and secondly, he, they did hold Aristotle in great esteem. So he makes the following statement, and it doesn't affect, it doesn't affect the religious part of it, but it just um, as, as sort of a proof. He says, He is the one that is turning the universe with, with a force, that is unending. With a force that has no stop to it. Because the universe is constantly going round, and it couldn't possibly go around without someone pushing it. And he, God, is turning it without a hand, without a hand or a body, is causing it to turn. I just want to just to translate the word galgal. Um, and we'll see, maybe we'll see this a bit later. It's not, again, it's not essential to to, to the um, to the core of it, to the theology of it, but just to describe what it is. In the old days, people looked up in the sky, and they actually saw some of the old days because there were no lights, and they saw <laughs> the sun going round, they saw the moon going round, they saw stars going round, and they pictured it as if there's a wheel, um, and everything is sort of pegged on a wheel and the wheels are turning. They had seven wheels, which is a very sensible arrangement when you're looking with naked eye, you don't see much. You see the same point going this way, this way. They picture with a series of wheels. That's what he calls galgals. He says, the entire universe is in constant motion. And something must put that into motion. Now, we, we can't relate to that line of reasoning. We can relate to the very concept of motion and flux. Besides the world, um, having in its being a static being, um, it also is, an, it, it's eternally in motion. Everything, every aspect of it is constantly, some energy had to be put in somewhere to, to you know, it's true that we're, we're just using and, and sort of recycling energy that was there, but the idea of the energy put in, seeing motion and making that same um, reasoning of where is all this motion coming from, speaks to us as well but I'll, but 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 um, he's the, the Rambam associates the, the fundamental belief with that it's not something that for us speaks like that okay that was five six um, and I just want to maybe add one more point while we don't look at the world and in terms of the of the motion of the stars and the heavens 
as needing an ongoing entity to keep it moving. But we do, we can appreciate the fact that history is a constant motion, that, that things change and shift. The, the world's not standing still by any measure. It, there's a constant, and it even, one would say, when you do ecology of, of non-human beings, animals and wolves and, and, and forests and stuff like that, there is a cycle which you can sort of pin down and say, okay, general cycle, a um, lot of vegetation, a lot of deer, deer eat vegetation, too many deer, not enough vegetation, wolves increase because a lot of deer, too many deer take, eat up too much vegetation, deer die, wolves die, and, and you know, that cycle is reasonably predictable. Um, history, a human, of human history, I dare say is far from being predictable. There, there are some general ideas that, that, you know, there are some general principles that seem to guide history, but I mean, I don't think anyone really has made economics. We're forever trying to predict economics and uh, we're never, never uh, good at it because we'd make a lot of money if we were good at it, and we can't. And was uh, so, I right that the, the, a good economist can explain the past, the best economist can explain the present, no one can explain the future. It just, I mean, you know, th th there are predictions and sometimes they come true, sometimes they don't. But at any rate, um, it, it's, so we can see it in a more abstract way, constant motion, but in either case, it doesn't, doesn't really make a difference. Six. The ideas of mitzvah's essay, the knowledge of this um, it, it is a positive command. Shenema, it says, So we spoke last time, a lot last time, a few times ago, about what it means that the knowledge of it is a positive commandment. And we gave a few possibilities. One is um, to keep reaffirming it with different insights and proofs and the more you look into it and the more you can affirm it and confirm it that's a positive commandment that's one way of saying it another way is internalizing it and so on that's another way of looking at it um, the the um, but what's interesting also is that he says this is a positive commandment as it says I am your God the um, this is the most unusual formula that there is for a positive commandment. Positive commandments are usually formulated, thou shalt do thus. Um, you know, in the sukkah you shall sit seven days. It's phrased as a command. You shall tie it as a sign onto your hand. Um, uh, you shall rise before the elderly and you shall honor the, the wise and so on. Those are all phrased as commands. Anoche Hashem is not phrased as a command. It's, it's, just, it's a statement. I am your God. Where in that language is there a command? Um, there's no... Um, not, I mean, there are different ways because we know there are ten commandments given in those commandments, and this is the only one that that we know as such. The Hasidic Sfarim write the following point. Um, it's not what the Rambam says, but it definitely is a very deep insight. The 
the, the way gods write the Torah is an expression of the reality. So when God says you shall wear tefillin or read Kriyashma, the very implication of a command is that it's possible otherwise. If I tell you do X, that implies that it's possible. I, 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 the, the statement don't, do not float away is a, is a nonsense statement because there's no possibility. So, so, so the commandment, I hereby command you to stand in, in, to, in, in one place is a meaningless term. So when God commands the free will to, to do otherwise exists in the very nature of the command. When God says do this, it implies the possibility exists to do otherwise, and this is what I'm telling you to do. This commandment of belief in God is unique. That's not given as a commandment. It's a statement. So, so the, 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 the Hasidic masses interpreted it, that down deep, every Jew is a believer, and he, he, choose, he might choose to deny it. He might choose to fight it. He might choose to cover it up. But he can't get it out of him because God didn't give it to us in that way. So, so we can choose. And, and, and one, of the, one of the proofs to that, I don't want to say proofs, but one of the ways you can see it is, um, you know, by almost, if you think about it, it makes sense why a religious person is out to convince others, to proselytize others, to, to influence others, because that's part of his religious belief, usually. So, so, so it makes a lot of sense why one would spend time and money and energy to, to convince other people. But if I were an atheist, I wouldn't give a nickel to convince anybody else to be an atheist. If you want to go to church Sunday, fine, leave the beach for me and go. You know, if, if you want to eat kosher and leave me with all the other food that's much cheaper, well, I mean, why would I care, really? Um, you know, it, I, I remember I, I, I you know, I, I get, you get piles of letters for all sorts of charity, Jewish, non-Jewish, is that, and you know, it's, it's the whole panoply from helping sick people to, to volunteer firemen to yeshivas and everything. The one that I think, um, I thought was the strangest one was um, some pro, some, some pro-evolutionary group says you know it's so terrible that the creationists are gaining this and that and we're asking for a charitable donation to help fight and you know help fight religion and stuff and and creationism etc 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 and I, I was kind of scratching my head <laughs> like well it's 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 one thing I understand why I would want I wouldn't want someone to teach my child something okay I can hear that but that it's a cause, that it's like a le'ilu nishma somebody, it's like for the benefit of someone's soul or something. You know, it's like a charity and it's like a, I, I, you know, there was something about it that was absurd. Like it came in the same package of, you know, help foster this faith, this faith, this faith, and help us foster our faith and charitable donation, please. Um, you know, I wonder if chai, like if 18 is like a number that we have to, I, I was trying to figure out how to, but, but it's strange. And Jews, have been vehement atheists. Jews who became non-believers were, were not docile non-believers. They, they, they fought. Um, in Europe in the, in, the, in the last, you know, the pre-war Europe for 150 years, it was a battleground. 
and it wasn't a one-way battleground of of um, religious people trying to convince the people leaving the fold to stay. It was it was a two-way battle, and and it, it what was one of the tragedies was in communist Russia, the persecution of the Jewish religious population was not terrible from the Gentile communists. You know, they, they passed laws and that was the end of it. The ones who really, really um, went after the Jews, something terrible, was the division called Ivsektsia, which means Ivraic Sektsia, which means the Jewish division. This was a division of the Communist Party manned by and, and uh, established by the Jewish communists who were interested in, in uprooting Judaism. And, and in the most vicious way, and they were the ones who knew where the mikvahs was and how to close them, and who the rebbe's were, and where the prayer books were, and and they were the ones who went after them. And and the answer was because as long as as long as that religious person is around, it bothers me. Uh, my conscience is 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 having a hard time, and I need to get rid of him. It, it's like the psychology of a kid in a class that's very angry at the goody good kids. And, and why am I so upset with the goody-good kid? The answer is because the teacher says, of course you can study four hours in the evening. Look at John, little John has studied for four hours. So you also must be doing it. So, the, 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 so I've got to get rid of John if, if, if I'm, if I'm to, to present my case, why I'm not studying. You know, it, it's the, the psychology of it. So, yes. Oh, sorry. I'm just finishing that. So he says, God implanted it in us as as a fact that sits there, and we can deny it, but it's always there. It's like a person who has a psychological, he has a hurt, a trauma, that instead of trying to come to grips with it, he sort of denies it, covers it up, and so on and so forth. That's the same. So, yes. So do you think this is why a lot of the isms are so popular? Um, is because you said that everybody, everybody, every Jew has that desire yes. for something, and if you don't, if you're not looking for Judaism, then you have to go with, you know, environmentalism or some kind of ism that they take to the level which is sometimes so extreme because they're like building. I that. think that is very true. I think, I think, I think the, the you know, and we always talk about being proud of, of Jewish, like the Nobel prizes and being smart and so on. I think what really marks Jews is a sense of, of trying to do something good. And, and whether you can vehemently disagree. The fact that the Jews spearheaded the communist movement, it was a positive movement. It came out of very positive, out of extremely positive feelings. I, maybe wrong in the implementation, but what drove many people to be communists was, was good. You know, the, the, the terrible conditions. My wife's, my wife's father was Rashiva Demir and came from a very prestigious line of great rabbis. And my, her great-grandfather was the original Shiva of the Mir, very, very a huge person, genius and very learned. He, his, one of his children became a diehard communist, turned against the family, very, very angry person. He ended up in America and my wife's grandfather was on a trip in America and raised money for the Shiva and tried to talk to him and so on. He was an amazing person. He was a brilliant man, a brilliant, really, really, really smart person. And he spent his days in America washing windows, refused to use his 
a genius in any way to make money or anything. He said, it's not fair. He said, just because I have a better head doesn't mean I should earn more than a poor guy washing windows. And it, there was, this, you know, there was a sense of righteousness and fairness. You could, you have to admire that sense, even if, even if you think that it was kind of nuts. But, but you know, but, yeah. But, but still, and and I think it's a pride that we tried to change the world for the good, and 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 we weren't content with taking things they were. I think, in more, it says it says Israel is a daring nation, and I think the word daring means that they go where nobody else went for good and for bad. But but you know they're they're always there first. You know it's 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 something that's I was once uh, I, I was uh, talking to somebody I used to teach Nisha Torah for a few years and there was a fellow there who had been in Hare Krishna for five years and he still didn't seem to be out of it and it was and like any time he said something he said yeah and this is very similar to the Krishna teaching go oh the stories it was like sickening at some point I said I don't remember his name I said no like why did you leave. I mean, if, if this stuff got such wonderful stories as that, he said he was upset with all the politics at the ashram. So, like, it's strange. The ashram is kind of a place where people meditate. So I said, where? Well, he said the ashram was in Brooklyn and all the heads were Jews. So I said, oh, now I get it. Like, you know, like, like okay, so that's, you know, so they're, more, you know, they're always busy. They're always busy, you know, like this and that, the other thing. Okay, so he says, so then he says, so this is, so, so the source for the belief is Anoch Hashem Um Now, I, I want to just point out something. In that statement, Anochi Hashem each one of these words is critical. Anochi, in Hebrew, there are two words that mean I, the capital I. That there's Anochi and there's Ani, um, almost the same words. The difference is, if someone asks me, what did you do yesterday? And you say, I went here and there, you would say, Ani alachti sham. Um, you know, I went there. The I is sort of a, um, it, it, it's sort of filling in a description of, the, the emphasis is, I walked to this, this place, and I have to be the person that's doing it. The word I is kind of less than emphasized. If somebody says, who's the person that thought of this idea, or who could have done this, then poetically you would say, Anochi. In other words, Anochi is, it is me, myself, and I. Anochi is a very vigorous term. It, it, it's almost, it's not part of the, 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 the pronoun series. In, in, in the, uh, the Ani is part of Ani Atavehu, I, you, and him. Any one of the, it, it's, it's one of a few pronouns. Anochi is a term, and it's poetic, more, nobody, you know, you don't say it in normal conversation, but it's something that, that in, in, in the right setting, it's very, it means I to the exclusion of anyone else. It, it, it's a very, it's very strong term, meaning the essential I, and not and with no possibility of you or him or or they or them it is um it is me myself kind of so anochi the first thing is god is describing his self as self hashem yud hey and vav and hey meaning that is my name that's me myself 
Elohecha means I am the one who is interacting with you. In other words, it, it, the, our primary statement of belief is not that God exists, but that the God who exists is the one who interacts with us. And the final, so it says, Anochi, I, Hashem Elokecha, I, Hashem, I to myself am Hashem, Elokecha is the one who is um, who is administrating to you, so to speak, uh, guiding, leading, etc., providence. Um, who took you out of Egypt, that's the final connection to a factual event. Doesn't say God created the world, because we weren't around when he created the world, and it's really not so relevant to us. It's kind of history. Um, he's saying, you've gone through an extraordinary experience now. I am the bridge between, in other words, I, who am God, am the one who guided these, these events and brought it to fruition. That's really, that's sort of the entire picture of it. We, we, it's very important for us to link the God who is totally out of it to the God who's very much in it. On the one hand, we don't want to limit God to the one who interacts with us. On the other hand, we don't want to relegate him to some sort of metaphysical entity who's not connected. So we, we always say the God who as himself is completely um, above it all, completely um, transcendental, it, the, who is very much involved in day life. Yes? So that would be Anochi. So, so Anochi is, God is saying, I, Anochi Hashem, I, that God who is totally beyond, um, Elokecha is the God who is, leads you, who, 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 um, whose providence leads you, and Asha Yisrael that in fact is the one who's behind all the events that have been happening in Egypt. Because when he says Ani Hashem El Kechememes, yes. When you said, when you said the Ani, you, you said initially that it's it's not really it's not right. Really relevant Ani is a, a less strong term. It, it wouldn't be wrong, but in this case, you pick up the emphasis very strongly. So, so Anochi is like I and no other. Sort of right. It, it's I with you know. In some ways, when I say I, it could be one of a group. I, you, and him are all human beings, living watch, etc., etc. So there's the I which shares a, 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 a characteristic of this, and then when, there's certain elements about me that no one else shares, and so you know, and so on. So Nochi is kind of that term where where it's a very powerful sense of, of me and no one else. Like you're correct. What does it not say Anochi then? What? What is it not say, Anochi HaShem so, so this is the, well, Anochi HaShem is God presenting himself. He's saying, you know, I am. It's God announcing his presence, you know, and, and, and this is Hashem Aleichem, so to speak. So he's presenting himself fully. V'chol hamal al daito, sheyesham Elohai achachutz mizeh, and anyone who entertains the idea that there's a God other than him, of a below say, um, is transgressed a prohibition. Shinemet says, Lo You shall not have other gods. Uh, um, literally means in front of me, on my face. The kafa be'ikr, and he's denying the, the main principle. Shezehu This is the main, this is the main principle that everything is, really depends on. Let's talk a little bit about some of these points and, and so on. Obviously, if someone doesn't believe this, someone does believe in something else, there's no point in the Rambam saying it, like we said before. 
Just like there's no point in saying that it's a mitzvah to believe, if the person's not believing, it's not going to help you much. So there's no point, in other words, there's no, there's no point in saying it unless it has some meaning. What's the point in saying that as a prohibition to think otherwise? So I think what he, what he's, I guess what's, what he can practically be referring to is the following. Our, nobody here, I don't know, maybe yes, is, is, is struggling between Hare Krishna and God of the Jews and this and that. That's, that's not the issue. And that's, this is not going to be a solution for him if that is the issue. The issue is um, we tend to feel there are other things also. For instance, let's give an example. Let's say a person is, um, has a business deal that's coming his way. And it requires doing things that are wrong, dishonest, prohibited. Um, so there's the temptation of the money. That's one part of it. And uh, we're tempted by it, by the greed. That's one issue. There's also another issue. Let's say I'm struggling. I'm struggling um, to make ends meet. And there are a lot of bills coming up. And I say to myself, well, I'm not going to have money to pay my bills if I don't do this deal, even though it's not legal, it's not right. So that, that, that sort of puts me up in, so down deep, my sense of God being, um, of, of, of being everything, really what I'm saying is, yes, God is great and God can do things, but right now, it's, it's the business that's, that's, that's giving me a livelihood. Uh, actually, to somebody's credit, there was somebody who studied in yeshiva. It's one of those instances when you feel very, very proud. Um, he was came from a very poor family, was a real hustler, really got the personality in the business, and he was working in internet business, um, doing very well. And he needed the money to live on himself. I think he was sending his parents some money. His parents really were sort of uh, down, you know, they're down hard, they don't have anything. And he called me up once and he says, Rabbi, you know, um, I'm in this internet business and they're doing something that I think is dishonest, really. And he told me what they do. And um, I started struggling trying to find a loophole. I said, well, what is your role in it exactly? What do you do? What do they do? What happens if this? What happens if that? I was sort of trying to, I guess, feeling how much he needs the money. And I know he really needed the money. I'm trying to figure out if there's sort of a loophole where we can sort of find him. And after two or three attempts, he says to me, listen, if, if you have to struggle so hard to find a loophole, then obviously it's certainly not above board, and it's not for me, and that's it. And I'm done. I don't want to hear further. Um, and he, you know, this person is not like a very big tzaddik type of personality. He's a really fun-loving guy, red-headed, and you know, and he really likes life. And he just, you know, that was, uh, you know, it's like, you know, sometimes you get a person that just sort of fits the bird, doesn't fit. And he, it, it's fascinating enough that evening, someone else met him and proposed a job to him that really fit his personality and his abilities. But I, I, I'm, I would, I always struggle, which I finished off with that second half of the story or not, because um, that's immaterial. But, but there's a, at some point, we, it, it's a struggle. It, do I believe in God is one thing. There's a famous story. Somebody once came, somebody once heard a speech from a rabbi that if you really, really believe in something, 100% it comes true. He said, he said, Rabbi, is it really, really true? He said, yes. 
So he said, which by the way, I'm not sure there's any source for, but I'm just using it more as a demonstration. He said, okay. He said, well, I bought a lottery ticket. Am I going to win it? So he said, well, he said, if you 100% believe, you will win. Okay. He said, so I 100% believe. And he said, well, if you believe 100%, you will win the lottery. Then he Rabbi says, by the way, he says, um, I'm, I'm so inclined to believe you. Um, I'm willing, it's for how much is the, is the ticket, you know, $10 million. He says, I'm willing to give you $5 million and sell me the tickets. It's great, Rabbi, here. Says, oh, one second. He said, if you really believed you get 10 million, you wouldn't sell it for 5 million two days before. <laughs> so, 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 you know, I, 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 again, I'm not, I, 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 don't, I don't think that that's true about the belief 100%. I'm not quite sure that that's, but, but what, is, what, what is correct is our sense of believing God in, in some struggles like that, where down bottom we say, you know, um, whether it's how we react to medical news. And the, the, uh, there was a story of somebody who was a very special person. Was a, he was a great man of Chaim Friedland, as Chaim Bracha. Um, he was the Mashkir Panovich. He wrote a lot of works interpreting um, certain philosophical works in ways that were open to people. Really, a very special person. He died of a brain tumor, and it came in two stages. The first time he went to Boston for an operation, he lived in Israel in Bayrock. The second time he refused to go for an operation. And I asked him why, and he said, the first time there were medically sound reasons for pursuing the operation in Boston, and it made sense, and, and therefore it, it falls under the realm of things that we need to do within within the laws of nature and so sort of, this is this is the way we work and and finding the right medical treatment is 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 the right thing to do but he said but the second time there's no rational reason for going it's just a hysteria of a, of, of, of a drowning man grasping at a straw he said drowning person grasping at a straw the lies of faith in God in other words, this activity can only be described as a quasi-faith. It's like, since I don't believe God can do it, I'm going to try every Mishagas. There's no rational um, backing for, for, for doing what you're doing. And, and so, so understanding, so, so using this focus more on things that are... Um, that are applicable is probably the thrust of it. It's it, because again, it's hard for me to, to feel that uh, that if a person doesn't believe, there's any point in, in commanding it. So, so, so I would like to think of it as being degrees of commanding. There's another point, and, and the Rambam makes. It, there's, we have a problem growing up in a society where intellectual freedom is is something that's a cornerstone for for um, for honesty for 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 being confident in what we believe, raising questions about it. Maimonides talks about it in a certain place, and we'll get to it at some point, God willing, but over here when he says, if someone entertains the idea that there's another God. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of jumping ahead in a sense, and, and I'll quote you in, in a sense what Maimonides says someplace else. If a person does have a problem, if a person, if a person has genuine questions, th then those that's honest to resolve it or to try to resolve it. You can't say you believe something that you don't believe in, uh, and, and and that's obvious. But there's another way to go with it. Um, if I'm doing, uh, if if I'm sitting in a classroom, 
I can, I, I can play chess. I can take the black side or the white side. I can take it with, with two rooks missing, and it, or, or I can play it any way I want. Intellectually, I can sit down and say, let's suppose there is no God. Let's suppose that the Hindu gods are right. Let's suppose this was that. And it, where a person is engaging that exercise, I guess called for intellectual fun, not, not where the person honestly, you know, where a person has an honest question, that probably falls under this prohibition also. To play it as a game, well, let's see you, I would like to see you write a paper that God does not exist. So, so that game, if, if a person, to, to bring in the doubt where it didn't exist, that seems to be the thrust away my mind says something else, and I, and I would possibly put this here also as well. Um, we'll finish off maybe with a story along the lines that the, the, um, there was one of the great, one of the three great figures in the Muslim movement, which um, I guess is sort of from the mid-1800s to the, to the war years in Europe was a very, very powerful, movement, very strong movement. One of them was somebody called Joseph Horowitz and he was known as the old man from the Vardak. The Vardak was a Muslim movement that was extreme in its demands for personal honesty, for total neglect of material concerns, um, total trust in God, very, very extreme, extraordinary in many ways, but it hasn't really, it, it, it didn't survive the war years. Um, you know, the, 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 their institutions named, but not nothing of that type. But um, he was a very bright man, and one day, someone from university came down. In Europe, the university were, was the sort of, especially for Jews, was the battleground with religion. It was, you know, and a professor of university came down and he said he's come to discuss theology with Rabbi Horowitz, with the Alton Vardic, because, uh, you know, he's heard he's a very, very bright man with a very fascinating insights and we'd like to discuss it with him. So he said, great. He said, let's sit down. He said, at the end of the discussion, if I'm right, you stay in yeshiva. If you're right, I drop my yarmulke here and now, and I'm off to university with you. So I said, ah, I didn't mean it's such an extreme. I just wanted to spend some time, some, some pleasant time discussing with you. He says, no. He says, life is too short for that. Life is for looking for truth. And I'm open, but it's going to be the truth. And it'll be either or. So he didn't take him up on it. <laughs> but but, but the, you know, the, the sense is, it, it, you know, a person saying, playing mind games, sort of, well, suppose like this, suppose like that, suppose like that. And, you know, could we prove this, could we prove this, that? If it's not an honest question, then I, I think, if, if you see the other place when the Ram speaks about it, it seems quite clear that he's talking about raising speculative questions where there's no real search for truth in it. Okay, we'll hold it here. I, I don't know, next Sunday is... Post Thanksgiving, so are we on? Not on. We're, on? we're not on. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Thank you very much. sure. Sure.